Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee along with Escanaba and Houghton, Michigan. Let's start something, remybattery.com. By Huntworth Gear, high-tech camel wear at a price you can afford. HuntworthGear.com and by Flow International Utility and Recreational Trailers where the rubber meets the road. F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L.com I'm Dan Small and today we look at the 150th anniversary of the worst fire disaster in American history. We'll get some tips for using spinning wing decoys and answer the question, how well can bears see? It's time now for Madison Outdoors presented by Pappas Trading Post. Southern Wisconsin's leading Matthews and Mission Archery Retailer, and they are located on Highway 14 west of Arena and on the web at pappastradingpost.com. You hear this feature every week on WTSO, the Big 1070, and on our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Lakelink and iHeartRadio. Joining us once again is the wandering pro-angler Duffy Cup. Well, Duff, <laughs> you went up north again and caught some more fish. Yeah, uh, we really had, uh, we had so much success, uh, you know, near the end of June that we couldn't resist going back up. And with the situation that we have up there, uh, it's a situation that not many people get to take advantage of and it doesn't cost us hardly any money either. So that's a good thing too. <laughs> yeah, that's a win-win. Now, of course, we're talking muskies and, uh, what's the name of that lake again? That's Lake X, by the way. <laughs> right. Uh, I just thought maybe you'd slip and let me know. Uh, you could tell me. I'll just edit it out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know your <laughs> your buddies wouldn't wouldn't approve of that. So, um, so how no, was no, the, they wouldn't be happy. How was the fishing? The fishing was uh, very good. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a little over probably a week and a half since we've been back. So. It's still a process of the water was still fairly warm, but it was cooling off up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fish have a tendency to start moving into shallower water. Yeah. Um, and, and the places where we had uh, the most success were relatively shallow areas with uh, scattered weeds. So we work uh, some of the weeds pretty thick. So what we did is we worked those weed edges and tried to, cast into about five or six feet into that weed edge and, and uh, uh, bring it back out fairly fast. And uh, they were aggressive. You know, if they were there, they were aggressive. So that was that was a pattern that we came up with. And uh, uh, most of the fish that we caught were either on bucktails or spinnerbaits again. Uh-huh. Okay. And so this was this, been, yeah, this was before the full moon, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. it was. Uh, I, I think with the with the change, I think the the fish kind of rocking back and forth, waiting for it, because the uh, the water temperature up there when we were up there was still considerably warmer than it usually is that time of the year. I'm sure within the last uh, few days, anyway, you know things are cooling off. Uh, and I know a guy that just went up there recently, and he said that the water temperature was uh, really getting down. To that area where the where the fish really uh, would be active again. I wish it was back up there. Yeah. But uh, uh, around here, they they should be uh, starting to react to uh, the cooler nights. You know, we're starting to get some some uh, nighttime temperatures in the 40s and some even in the low 40s. So that water is going to uh, start cooling off pretty quickly, and especially if uh, we have a couple of nights where it's that cold and a little bit windy. Yeah, uh, that will cool it off very, very quick, and those those fish will be moving in shallow, uh, not because they want to, but because uh, they want to eat. And people think, and they call they call it putting on the feedback. I'm, I'm not a real big believer on that, uh, but what happens is is the fish that they feed in become much more concentrated once that water starts cooling off. And they move shallow too, and that, that's why those bigger fish come in there. And 
they're opportunistic feeders, and if there's a bunch of fish there, you might just got done with uh, two quarter pounders and somebody sticks another one in your face. They're, they're programmed to eat that third one, too. Yeah, interesting. You know, uh, totally unrelated to muskies, but a friend of mine who's a big muskie fisherman, he, he fishes the Mississippi occasionally for perch and uh, other panfish and walleyes as well, and he said the guys uh, and and people in in the lacrosse area know this in the Stoddard area were catching big perch and they were coughing up uh, gobs of baby bluegills you know little one inch long bluegills so they're you know those little fish school for safety and uh, the predators just go after them so the muskies are doing the same thing. Oh yeah, they do. You know, during the, the warm parts of the summer, those those small little bait fish are spread out all over the place. Yeah. And uh, although the fish got to work a lot harder for them, and you know, the fish are no matter what species they are, are programmed to do two things: they're programmed to eat, and number two, they're programmed to reproduce. And if they're going to reproduce, they've got to eat. So the two go hand in hand. And if you've got a bunch of food in a small, relatively small area where you don't have to burn up a lot of calories going after them, that's where you're going to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been back on the chain since your return from up north. And that uh, was up in the Sawyer County area, generally speaking, right? We won't try to pinpoint yes. it. But yeah, yes. okay. So what what are you finding on the chain? Well... Uh, finding on, uh, uh, at least a few days ago, the water was still very, very warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were had, uh, we were on Wabisa and we were, we were seeing certain areas of Wabisa being 70 degrees by the time they got off the, the water in the late morning at about noon. Uh-huh. So we were a little disappointed in that and a lot of the areas of the lake still kind of look like pea soup. Yeah. Uh, that's going to have to change a little bit. And I think now that we're getting 40 degrees at night, I think that's going to change uh, relatively quickly, especially on a shallower lake like Wabisa, where the, the deepest spots are only 30 or 35 feet deep. So we're kind of looking forward to that. And then uh, when, when this when this show airs, I will be on the water on uh, Wabisa and Monona fishing uh, Capital City uh, muskies, to take challenge, uh, trying to come up with some muskies. Yeah, uh, we do that. It's it's a fun tournament, and then uh, you can win some extra stuff if the fish that you catch has a pit tag in it and uh-huh. it gets scanned and it comes up positive. Uh, then you can win a little bit more uh, more stuff uh, <laughs> during the tournament uh, and do it. And it, it really is a lot of fun. And for those guys that don't have the scanners in their boats. They have a phone number to call, and within a couple of minutes of you catching it, there's going to be both coming up side of, of your boat with a scanner, and they'll scan it. And then that helps all that research that's been going on on Monona, Wabisa, on uh, uh, the Leech Lake strain versus the uh, Wisconsin strain muskets. Yeah, cool. Uh, and a pit tag is a, you can't see it. It's embedded in the fish, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like a tiny little transistor with a, a little antenna on it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it hardly does that. When they put them in, they, it hardly does anything to the fish at all. Uh, you know, it's, not, it's certainly not going to kill them. And uh, it really is uh, some pretty valuable data for people that are interested in the, the particular species that they're working with. And that study has been going on for... Well, I'd say at least 12 years now, and I would say within the next calendar year that uh, they should conclude that and come up with a, uh, a summarizing statement uh, and then making a decision on uh, what species they're going to spend all their money on uh, putting muskies into the Madison Lakes. Yeah, which strain, whether it's Leech Lake or Wisconsin or some other, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, boy, they've got a, they didn't have a lot of data by the time they get done with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we let you go, uh, anything on the, the uh, Lake Wisconsin and Wisconsin River? I haven't heard anything on Wisconsin River. I, I know that on Wabisa, down on the, the south end, we were down there in the morning, and there wasn't a lot of wind, and the number of small bait fish, and, I don't know, feeding on plankton or phytoplankton on the surface of the water, 
And uh, as soon as you start seeing that, because you bring the spinnerbait through the water and they're, they're pimpling all over the, the water like that, that that's an indicator that uh, those big fish are going to start moving in there uh, pretty quickly to yeah. to feed on them. And uh, that was uh, that was pretty good. And then uh, uh, on Mendota, the cooler water eventually, if if not already, is is uh, should bring the walleyes into the weeds where they're a little bit more concentrated and a little bit easier to catch where in the warm part of the year, again, they're very spread out and yep. you have to really work hard to find them. So hopefully uh, that works out for them. Uh, there's uh, guys are catching some pike and some smallies in, in the low light periods on Mendota. Uh, there's a little bit of action going on on uh, Lake Monona, uh, muskies, there's guys in there doing it. And on Wies- on Wabisa, like I said, those bait fish are in there, but keep in mind that there are areas that we normally fish where the weeds are really good, and you can almost say there's got to be some fish in here that the weeds are almost entirely gone. Huh. Uh, and, and do that, and uh, that was a little disappointing because we thought maybe we had a a pattern developing, and that, that didn't uh, help us at all. Yeah. But there were a lot of pan fishermen out on Wabisa, which kind of indicates that the, the uh, 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 bluegill uh, bite is still going on, and I think, especially in that lake, that as the water starts cooling off, those crappies start looking for the deeper holes in the lake. So oh, all right. that's what I've got for Okay. All right. Well, Duffy, thanks so much for that report. Good luck in the... Uh, Pit tag challenge this weekend. Hope you uh, land a fish or two with a tag in it. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, luck has nothing to do with it. It's all knowledge and experience. Dude. And and you've got more of that than uh, <laughs> the next three guys put together. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll take the luck. All right, you bet. We'll we'll be in touch soon. Thanks thanks a lot. Okay, Dan. We'll see ya. You bet. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. If you're ever in a car or motorcycle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm Voted Best and Rated Best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678. Or visit Hupie.com, and all 11 offices of Hupie and Abraham are open for business. Well, once again, uh, joining me from his home in Wisconsin Rapids, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, you had another walleye tournament that you uh, conducted, what, last weekend at Cass Lake, Minnesota? Yeah, Cass Lake, Minnesota. Um, always great to be up there. Stony Point Resort is so much fun. Um, it's one of the few places that I get to go fish. Ah, when the yeah. anglers uh, take off, they go walleye fishing and I go perch fishing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of fun to be up there. It's a fun event. The, um, typically, it's one of the local teams that wins. Um, it's really tough to beat them on their home waters. These are guys that spend every waking day on these waters. And so it, it's tough to beat them. Uh, but uh, local team won from uh, Walker and Cohasset, Randy Topper. And Chuck Hassey, and uh, they've fished this event with us uh, for quite a number of years and, and have come close and cashed checks, but uh, this time they take the win, and it was uh, fun to see them win. Uh, they're probably about my age or so, and uh, guides on the water there, mm-hmm. and so they, they know it very well. And what they were doing was they were they're using their electronics to actually pinpoint individual fish oh, and then boy. pitching jigs to them yeah the electronics that you know the, the the stuff that's out there the active lawrence active target stuff like that sure, sure you can look at a specific fish understand how big it is compared to other ones and go okay i'm gonna pitch a jig at that oh, one and, and they yeah. would just pick off fish yeah. six uh six to eight feet of water so yeah cool and how much weight did they bring in so they brought in 32 pounds 10 ounces two ounces more than second place <laughs> oh my goodness that was close Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Kind of warm up there, wasn't it? You know, actually, we were just on the the front side of that that big warm front, oh, so sure. it was really yeah. comfortable. I mean, uh, 
upper 60s first day, low 70s the second day, a little breezy mm-hmm. uh, right in front of that front. And then the day we left that Sunday morning, I could feel the stickiness and the, <laughs> the humidity in the air. And it was yeah. kind of nice to take a seven-hour truck ride in the air conditioning. Yeah, wow. Have you, and you've got one more tournament yet, right? One more. Uh, Lake City, Minnesota, World Walleye Championship got... 31 teams battling it out for uh, you know close to a hundred thousand uh, dollars in uh, cash and prizes and uh, somebody's going to be a world walleye champ in just a couple weeks cool well lake city minnesota it's funny you mentioned that because kurt welke he's a retired wisconsin dnr fish biologist he put together a pontoon boat uh, houseboat thing contraption kind of like a modern huck finn and he launched this week at Lake City, and he's aiming to take out 180-some miles downriver in Dubuque. I don't know how long it's going to take him to get there, but uh, I'm going to try to get him on the show either from the river or maybe afterwards. So um, he'll probably be through that area when you guys uh, launch. But uh, if you see a, a boat with a pirate flag, um, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. He's got to be careful. The river's quite a ways down. Uh, you know, we're pretty aware that uh, it's been pretty dry in northern Minnesota and things yeah. like that. A lot of the headwaters coming down. Uh, so not a ho- not a big flow in the river right now. Yeah, I'm sure he knows that. He's a, a fisheries guy. And, there, you know, these uh, pontoons have pretty shallow draft, at least uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure his does. So, anywho, uh, I suppose you haven't had a chance to do any hunting yet. No hunting yet. Uh, my mind is starting to switch over. You know, these cooler mornings. I'm like, yep. oh yeah, starting to starting to think about it. My my boss says that his own neck starts to swell about this time of year. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess I could kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, the big news here is that I got my new Flow Cargo Max trailer this week. It's a, I guess I don't know if they put year dates on them, but a 2021 model of the. 7313 it's a 13-foot long, 73 inches wide, Uh, basically just an upgrade uh, for the one that I've had for four years. Chad Baker delivered it to me right in Westby, and, you know, you can't beat that service. No, absolutely. And I sold the one I've had for several years to a friend. You know, they do truly hold their value, so... Uh, you ought to check them out, and we'll we'll try to get Chad on again sooner. Maybe Don Vandermey uh, this next time to talk about float trailers and how he uses them. And by the way, um, his 19-year-old son Harrison arrowed a dandy 10 or 12 point buck on opening day last Saturday somewhere in Minnesota. There's a photo floating around. I'll I'll put it on my um, Facebook page too. Um, a real nice buck. So congrats mm. to him. Great. And uh, I'm glad I got the new trailer. Well, coming up. Huntworth Pro Staffer Bernie Berenger answers the question, how well do bears see? Spinning wing decoy inventor and Mojo TV host Terry Denman talks about using motion decoys for dove and pigeon hunting, and we'll touch on ducks as well. And we'll kick things off with Kathy Malke. She's the mayor of Peshtigo, Wisconsin. She's going to talk about this weekend's events that commemorate the 150th anniversary of what was the deadliest fire in American history, the Peshtigo Fire. All that and more, straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Blackfish Gear has the apparel you need for all of your outdoor adventures. From rain gear with industry-leading fabric technology to ensure you stay dry in the wettest conditions, to UPF sun protection apparel that keeps you cool and your skin protected on the hottest days. And for those cool and blustery days, our soft-shell gear will keep you warm and comfortable with a combination of premium fleece and a windproof and weather-resistant outer layer. You can't choose the weather, but you can choose how to dress for it. Choose Blackfish Gear. Learn more at blackfishgear.com. You'll enjoy good old-fashioned pheasant hunting at Cackle Creek Game Preserve in Ashapen, Wisconsin. Cackle Creek offers guided and do-it-yourself hunts for pheasants, bobwhite quail, and chuckers in cover ranging from grasslands, creek bottoms, and marsh to sorghum and a variety of grain fields. Or book a tower shoot for your group event or charity. Let the good times fly with good birds, good cover, and good old-fashioned pheasant hunting at Cackle Creek, online at cacklecreek.net. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 39 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or CargoMax, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. 
With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer's on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow Trailers, where the rubber meets the road. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Most people have heard of the Great Chicago Fire. It burned a large portion of that city and killed more than 300 people 150 years ago on October 8, 1871. But you know, there was an even larger fire in Wisconsin that caused more death and destruction on the very same day as the Chicago fire, and I'll bet you've never heard of it. I'm talking about the Peshtigo fire, which destroyed the city of Peshtigo and killed more than a thousand people. And joining us to talk about that fire and a commemorative event that's going on this very weekend in Peshtigo is Kathy Malky. She's the mayor of Peshtigo. The City Rebuilt from Ashes. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for asking me. Well, you are busy this week uh, preparing <laughs> for and uh, and, and uh, celebrating these events, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But for listeners who have not been there and who might want to uh, to visit, where is Peshtigo exactly? Well, Peshtigo is about an hour north of Green Bay. Between Green Bay and Peshtigo, you hit Ocano, and then the next city will be Peshtigo. Okay. So, uh, and it's close to the Menominee-Michigan border as well. Right, and it's uh, right on Highway 41 or close to it, right? Correct. Okay. Well, it bypasses Peshtigo now, so, but yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, before we get to the weekend's events, let's recap the history of the fire. It happened on the same day as the Chicago fire. Um, how did it happen? Do we know? Um, as far as the Peshtigo fire, they refer to it as a tornado wind mm-hmm. um, that destroyed 2,400 square miles of forest and killing, when you say that 1,000, but it's actually probably they're estimating over 2,000 people. Because mm-hmm. they really, being a lumberjack community, um, the Menominee Indians, they really don't have a true head count on how many people were here and lost their lives. Uh-huh. Okay. And we don't know really how it started, right? I mean, it was a forest fire that just got out of control. Correct. Um, many different institutions are studying how, you know, the wind and everything just took off. So to this day, it's studying the fire. Uh-huh. Okay. And as I understand, it was and really still is the deadliest fire in American history as far as human life lost. It is. That's very correct. And, and it's sort of heart-wrenching that, you know, you know, most of the nation doesn't even know about the fire and yeah. all the lives that were lost that day. Yeah, and are there still some uh, descendants of survivors who uh, who live in and around Peshtigo? We do. You're talking like the fourth and fifth generations. Uh-huh. But um, for our big historical day weekend, we put it. We put a shout out to you know survivors, and we've had a very good response, even from people that you know get our local Peshtigo Times paper have responded when they saw it in the paper, and, you know, we've been conversing back and forth by email. But it is, you know, it is exciting that the, their stories carry on. Mm-hmm. Now, this fire raged out of control because back then, 150 years ago, there were no fire trucks. I think you had one horse-drawn wagon that was quickly over overcome by the, uh, yes. the fire itself. Um and and the river, the Peshtigo River, runs right through uh, town, and uh, I suppose a lot of people jumped in the river or tried to, right? Um, yes, they did, but with hypothermia, um, 
it was it was just very sad because the people that went to the river to you know just try to you know to save their own lives mm-hmm. did get hypothermia in the water. You know, another family is just you know to spare their families from burning. You know, you know they actually killed their families and themselves from wow. you know so they didn't have to suffer. Wow, wow. Well, um, let's fast forward 150 years to this weekend. Um, you've got what you call Peshtigo Historical Day weekend events now running through Sunday with the bulk of them on Saturday, which for most of our listeners is today. We've got 21 different stations, so people will hear us, you know, throughout the weekend. Uh, what is going on uh, this weekend? Well, we have a wonderful, fun-filled day planned. We're going to start the day out with the big parade. Um, we'll have right now close to 100 um, entries into the parade. The city has hired two local, not local stables for about, from Green Bay. One stable is bringing four sets of horses and wagons, and our major parking is on the other side of the river, so they're going to be transported by a horse and wagon. And it'll give people an opportunity to feel what it was like back in 1871, because that was their form of transportation. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be transporting them by horse and wagon to the park, and if you want to go back, you can transport back by horse and wagon. Otherwise, we do have a bus later from 8 to 10 at nighttime. We've hired two buses to transport people back as well. So, but after the parade, then we go into, we've hired a logging company that's going to um, perform three times during the day. Menominee Indian Tribe are going to do three different performances as well. We have vendors, both crafts and food. We have bands playing all afternoon. Um, we have a outhouse race, and all our things are geared back to 1871. So we have an outhouse race, we're having a pie-eating contest, and we're having a lumberjack beard contest mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and it, it sounds like a lot of fun stuff, uh, and yet you're commemorating uh, the most tragic event, really, um, you know, uh, from from a fire ever in America. That's an interesting uh, paradox, I guess. Celebrate. What are you celebrating exactly? I guess that's the question. We're, we're celebrating the rebirth of the city mm-hmm. and all the people that brought us from 150 years ago to today. All their efforts into making what Peshtigo is today. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're not. It's we're remembering the lives lost, but celebrating where we are today. Uh huh. And so, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, that's, that's good. Okay, and uh, Peshtigo is still uh, a lumbering town, is it? A logging town? Um, we do have some, but, you know, we've become pretty well, we have a really good industrial park, and, we, you know, we have various um, companies out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, if we have Eugene Frank, I'll give him a shout-out. He does a tremendous lot for, lot for the city. Um, he deals a lot with lumber. Um, it just... And we have a good variety of businesses, I should say now. Yeah, okay. And I understand that um, a church that was uh, one of the first buildings rebuilt is actually a f- the fire museum now. It is, and actually it was on the other side of the city, and there's pictures showing how they transported that church across the bridge, and where it sits right next to the fire cemetery as well, and it is has become the, the fire museum with all the you know, things from the fire, so... Okay. It's very, very worth going to visit. Okay, and there are tours of that on Sunday, I understand. Yes, well, actually, we start out Sunday morning with the Lumberjack Breakfast. Mm-hmm. The city and town of Pestua Fire Departments are putting on at Embers. And then at noon, it, um, we're giving cemetery walks, and some of the families that were buried there, they're telling stories about those families. Uh-huh. And then after that, we have an ice cream social. Okay, so a complete weekend. Uh, yes. It's already underway for most listeners when they hear this. Well, Kathy, um, we can learn more on the website, right? PeshtigoHistoricalDay.com. Is that the best place to go for info? Correct. Yep, that would be wonderful. Okay. So anybody that would make it, it's going to be very memorable weekend. All right. Well, uh, yeah, and it's an historic uh, event 150 years ago, a sesquicentennial commemoration, I guess I would say, of uh, that uh, tragic fire. Correct. Yes. Well, well th- the deadliest fire in, in our nation's history to date. Yeah, so. a- absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're up to your ears with activities and uh, getting ready for every event um, uh, that's coming up. So thanks so much for 
sharing that information, and we hope some of our listeners uh, will make it to Peshtigo, if not this weekend, eventually yet this year, and uh, uh, enjoy uh, a tour of the city and uh, maybe uh, see the park and, and visit the museum as well. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Thank you for having me. You bet. Kathy Mulkey, she's the mayor of Peshtigo, Wisconsin. As we mentioned, you can learn more at PeshtigoHistoricalDay.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at DanSmallOutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Huntworth Gear is high-tech camel wear at a price you can afford. It's available at Mills Fleet Farm and other stores, and you can find it online also at huntworthgear.com. And joining us now for the second time this season from Brainerd, Minnesota, is Huntworth Pro Staffer Bernie Berenger. His website is BucksBullsBears.com, and I really encourage you to check it out because there's a, an, an insane story about two deer, and we'll get into that in just a second. Well, Bernie, thanks for joining us again. My privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Now, I mentioned those two deer, uh, two monster bucks. Can you kind of summarize um, your uh, your recent post, and then we'll send people there to to uh, read the whole story. Yeah, it's a it's really bizarre, and I called the story two enormous bucks and two enormous stories. And the one uh, is pretty fascinating because it happened in Kansas, and the guy just had a absolute giant buck with like 50 points show up on his trail camera it's like world class like world, like a world record buck showed up on his trail camera and he, he shot it and then uh it turns out that it was a deer that had escaped from a deer farm about 10 miles away and just showed up on this guy's property so um that was one of the stories well then the other one was a story about a buck about the same size just an absolute giant and a guy says he shot it in Kentucky, and he registered it in the Kentucky's uh, DNR website uh, for uh, a registered kill. And then he called Field and Stream Magazine and asked him if they wanted a story on the new world record that he just shot in Kentucky. Well, turns out he had shot that deer at a game farm in Indiana and then took it across into Kentucky and tried to pass it off as a new world record. So, um two really bizarre stories. One of them was just a series of gigantic lies, and the other one really, the guy didn't do anything illegal. He was just so disappointed to find out that he thought he'd shot the new world record deer here. It was an escapee from a game farm. Wow. The story's worth reading. Yeah, absolutely, and the photos there uh, (laughs) are pretty remarkable, too. Yeah, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but the guy who tried to pass off a high-fence deer as a uh, legitimate... uh, Wild deer, it, that's got to be crazy. I mean, there's just too many photos and uh, too much information on social media these days. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, he, he's he's in a heap of trouble. <laughs> I, I have no idea how he thought he could get away with that. It just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, how's your fall hunting going? Your, your season opened uh, last weekend, as ours did. Yeah, I've just kind of been looking over some does in my food plot out here. The food plot's really struggling this year, been so dry, and I ended up having to tear it up and replant it once, and it's still not doing very good. But, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not in any hurry to shoot a deer yet and just kind of waiting for the right one. Had a, had a good bear season. I uh, guide bear hunters in Minnesota. I had five hunters this year. Everybody shot really nice bears, and so I was really happy with that. Well, cool. And uh, did you hunt bear yourself this year? I um, did not have a tag for Minnesota, and so I couldn't go on a spring Canadian bear hunt, so I decided to go to Idaho and hunt in the mountains, and I uh, had a fun hunt with a couple of buddies, and we just went out there kind of blind, and I did end up getting a bear, and uh, it was just a, a really fun hunt, and then I also uh, went with an outfitter for a spring hunt in Maine uh, in June and had a fun hunt out there and ended up shooting a bear there, too, so I've had a pretty good year. That sounds like it. And, um, you know, you do a lot with bear, as uh, as you and I know. 
and you and I were talking um, before we started recording that there are some myths about bears and particularly about their eyesight that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, you know, that's a fascinating thing to me is that there is a prevailing myth out there that bears have poor eyesight. And uh, I, I really believe that that's not true. I believe they have really good eyesight. And if you look at the the two things that people usually give as reasons for why they think bears have poor eyesight, number one is they got these beady little eyes on their head. Well, um, if you really look at the bear's anatomy, they actually have big eyeballs. They're actually bigger than a deer's or about the size of a deer, um, but they have small openings for their eyes, and that's why they have the little beady eyes. And and if you think about even a good-sized adult bear, he's walking through the woods, and his eyes are only about two feet off the ground, and they're constantly pushing their way through really thick cover, and they just need to protect their eyes. And, that, you know, that's a you know, their, their eyes are designed for their adaptation of what they do for a living. And uh, that's why they have small eye openings. And all you see is the pupil. And you think they have really little beady eyes, but they don't. Uh-huh. That, that's the number one thing. And so number two. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, number two. Well, number, okay, number two is that people, they, most people start out as deer hunters. And when the, when a deer looks up in a tree and sees them, the deer runs away. Right. Um, and bears don't do that. And so, you know, people have bears look at them, or even sometimes I've had bears kind of approach me and like they're curious and so forth. And and the difference is that, that a deer is a prey species and he lives on the edge of panic all the time. And mm. when he sees something that could be danger, he takes mm. off. Where a bear... He, he might see you, and he, he, he saw a movement. Instead of bolting, he's like, "Well, that could be something to eat." You know? <laughs> and uh, they're, you know, yeah. they're, because they're a, they're a prey species, they don't react the same way. So people have are sitting in a tree stand, a bear looks right up at them, and then doesn't react negatively, and they assume that that's because he didn't. When the reality is, they really have very good eyesight to just differently because they are living on the edge of panic all the time like a deer is. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, yeah, and you've seen enough um, bears um, coming into baits and in other situations that uh, uh, you, you probably have had some bears uh, obviously spot you or spot something that didn't look right. Yeah, and in fact, I had a bear get really close to me just a couple of weeks ago when I was feeding here in Minnesota, and, and I've got a video of this on my YouTube channel, uh, Bow Hunting Road is YouTube channel, and uh, the bear um, saw me, and I stopped and didn't move, and it began to approach me, and it was curious, you know, um, it just got closer and closer, and I'm, I'm videoing with my phone, and all of a sudden I looked over my phone, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's 15 feet away, <laughs> and I'm like, so I started waving my I mean, I was watching on my phone going, this thing's getting really close. And also, <laughs> yeah. I looked over my phone. I'm like, man, it is right there. And, uh, but it, as soon as I waved my arms, it took off, but it was just a really, I could tell by its demeanor, it wasn't aggressive. It was just curious. And that's not, not, it's not too atypical for bear behavior. Uh huh. Well, uh, if we're hunting bear or photographing them, um, is there anything that we can do to, to, uh, you know, uh, um, counter that good eyesight that they apparently have. Yeah, obviously a couple things. Number one is you sit still, yeah. and uh, that's true in any kind of hunting, basically. The second thing is really good quality camel that really works to break up your outline is really important, too. And, um, you know, we bear hunt in the spring and fall when there's a lot of green. There's The, the trees are green, and then there's a lot of foliage and stuff. And most uh, of the camel out there is just designed to break up your outline in November, you know. Uh-huh. And I, I started using this tarnin. It's a tarnin pattern. It's called by Huntworth um, a couple of years ago when they just came out with it. And I'm like, well, this looks like this might be really good for bears because it's got more green in it. It's got more horizontal stuff in it than a lot of patterns. And I have just absolutely fallen in love with it because – it really breaks up your outline in a tree stand better mm-hmm. than anything that I've ever come across for this early season. It works great for early season deer, too. But, I mean, I think it's the camel pattern that bear hunters have been lucky for uh, that will really work for them in the spring and fall. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got some myself. It's Tarnan, T-A-R-N-E-N, correct? Right, yeah. I love the stuff, and I've actually put in an order for some more of it for next spring. All right. Well, Bernie, we've got to wrap this up here, but um sounds like you've had an exciting fall so far, and good luck with your deer hunting, which is only going to get better now that the weather's cooled down a little bit. We had um, <clears throat> near-record temperatures for opening weekend here. Uh, last week. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the rest of the fall. I'm going to North Dakota here in a couple mm-hmm. weeks, and and uh, so it should be a good year. All right. Well, we'll keep in touch and probably have you on again. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. I really appreciate it. You bet. Bernie Berenger, his website is bucksbullsbears.com. Check it out for the story on those two uh, insane whitetail bucks, and his YouTube channel is Bow Hunting Road. This is brought to you by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camel wear at a price you can afford. HuntworthGear.com. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. For the nonprofit Rough Grouse Society, the well-being of the rough grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. As Remy Battery enters the 90th anniversary of our company, we want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the years. Thank you for your continued support to our local, family-owned company. We invite you to our newly remodeled Milwaukee retail store on the corner of 43rd Street and Lincoln Avenue. We have batteries from the largest military crafts to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or the waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camo Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. If you're a waterfowl or dove hunter, odds are you're familiar with spinning wing decoys. I've hunted with them for years, and I know how effective they can be in certain circumstances. And joining me now from Monroe, Louisiana, to talk about spinning wing decoys is Terry Denman. He's an engineer, businessman, philanthropist, and professional hunter. And he grew up in a hunting family in the Mississippi River Delta of Louisiana. Uh, So you could say hunting's in his blood. I think that's a fair statement. He's hunted all over the world, but he focuses on hunting ducks, on the Mississippi Delta, and about 20 years ago, 
He helped pioneer spinning wing decoys, and today he uh, operates Mojo Outdoors, which manufactures and markets spinning wing decoys for most uh, for waterfowl and doves and a host of other decoys and hunting products as well. He's the host of Mojo TV on the Sportsman Channel and Mojo Migration TV on Pursuit. And Terry, uh, welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network, and thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Well, before we get into your products, uh, how are you folks doing down there on the Delta after Ida went through? Well, some parts of us are not doing uh, as well as others. Uh, I'm in North Louisiana. The storm was supposed to come directly to us. We had drifted east. It did not. We didn't suffer terribly up here. But, you know, if you was in south central Louisiana, they pretty much still tore up down there. Yeah, yeah. I was in Venice uh, doing a documentary with a TV crew after the Deepwater Horizon disaster uh, back in, I think it was 2010. And I know how bad it can be, although I've never had to uh, live through one. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with all you folks down there dealing with the aftermath. Well, thank you for that, Dan. You bet. Now, uh, we we talked about uh, spinning wing decoys, and uh, I think a lot of hunters are familiar with them for for ducks, but uh, I've just started using them for doves a few years ago. How do how do they work for dove and pigeon hunting? Well, the spinning wing decoys probably work better for dove than uh, any other any other bird. Uh, mostly based on the fact that doves don't live very long, so they never you know catch on to decoying aspects of them. But uh, a, a certain segment of the bird population is attracted to spinning wing decoys. Not all birds. It's basically birds that are gregarious, hang together, looking for other members of their kind, that have white under their wings uh, uh, and beat their wings very fast. And so those are the ones that tends to be attracted to a spinning wing decoy, assuming the spinning wing decoy is turning its wings fast enough. And that's a point a lot of hunters don't pick up on. They'll let their batteries get low or whatever. But once a spinning wing decoy slows down to a certain point, it's no longer producing that strobe or that flash that is what is attracting birds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all three of those birds that you mentioned, you know, are attracted to them. Naturally, uh, ducks live the longest, so they, they, they have better opportunity to catch on to any kind of decoy, uh, habits. Yep. Yep. Um, my first experience with, uh, ducks was, uh, on a bluebird day. Uh, nothing happening, and uh, the guys I was with had a spinning wing out there. I'm pretty sure it was one of yours. And we saw a pair of specks way off in the distance, and they just beelined right for those decoys, and we shot them. It was a pair of mallards, and I turned to the guy, and I said, okay, <laughs> I'm convinced. Um, it, it, was, it drew them right out of, right out of nowhere. Well, there's a point there, Dan, that, that your listeners ought to be interested in, and that's that the the highest and best use of a spinning wing decoy is and always has been a long range attraction. Mm-hmm. So back in the early days when we first brought them out, they would, all the uh, birds went away right on top of them. So people started thinking of them as more of a finishing device. Uh-huh. And oftentimes, and in fact, sometimes most times they will function as a finishing device, but long range attraction is their highest and best use because they can see that strobe or flash much further than they can see any other type of motion. Yeah. Have you ever thought of, you mentioned strobe, have you ever thought of putting lights on them, you know, so that uh, they literally do flash in low light? Yeah, we did one of those one time, and we hunted with it, and I never saw a duck look at it, so <laughs> okay. that's as far as we got to us. I don't know what the difference is, but it's not the same. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, if if people are new to this kind of hunting, and let's stick to the dove and pigeon for for a bit, how do you place a decoy set so that you've got good shooting and, and you're attracting the birds? Well, it, it depends upon how pressured the birds are. If birds are, if you're at the beginning of the season, and especially if you uh, are further north as, as you are, you know, where the birds have not been hunted to the extent that they've been hunted by the time they get down here to, say, Louisiana, you know, where I am, that's going to kind of dictate what you need to do. If they, if they attracted directly to them, they want to come land by, then obviously the place to put them would be right in your killing hole, and that's how we would normally start off. But as they're, as they're pressured during any one given, 
uh, hunting season, not the hunting season in a location, but you know, throughout an annual migration from the breeding grounds all the way down to the Gulf Coast and even further further than the Gulf Coast, then, you know, if they don't want to land right on top of them, then you need to move them to the side. And we have kind of a generalized rule that we say early season, put them in the killing hole. Mid-season, kind of move them out into your decoy spread so they're not landing right on top of them. Late season, get outside your decoy spread and hide them under a bush. Mm. And so mm-hmm. what that's saying is, is, you know, don't leave it any closer to your killing hole than the ducks are willing to land. Uh-huh. Yep. And, uh, you know, you talk about educating ducks because they they live longer. Um, is that what it is, or, or are pigeons and doves just dumber? Well, you know, a duck can live pretty long. You know, a mallard hen, I've seen some that, you know, have been tagged 20 years before, yep. been banded 20 years before. Yep. Uh, and it is said that the aged hens is going to lead the flock, you know, through the migration. Uh, pigeons, on the other hand, uh, uh, feral pigeons now, not domestic pigeons, feral pigeons, which is what we're hunting, they live about three to five years in the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they will catch on, you know, uh, to, to those if you hunt the same flock over and over again. They'll catch on to the, to the decoying in general. A dove, uh, you know, about 70% of the dove die every year, whether you shoot one of them or not. They just don't live long enough right. uh, to catch on to it. Right, okay. Um yeah, I've uh, I've been hunting doves. Uh, gosh, not not as uh, seriously as you folks down south, but I got a taste of it when I lived in Houston for a few years, and I think I uh, hunted them in Houston, uh, in, in, you know, outskirts of Houston, and then in Arizona. I had a cousin who lived out there, and now we have a season here in Wisconsin. It took a while to get it established, but uh, you know, a lot of people do it, and we have a lot of doves. Uh, but I think. We educate. You, you, you've got uh, smart birds that come down to you because by the time they get to Louisiana, they've been shot at all the way from Minnesota and Wisconsin, the Dakotas, all the way down the Mississippi until uh, they get to you. I, I don't know how you guys manage to, to, to kill them. You must be doing something right. Well, it's, it's much tougher down here. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. By the time a, if a duck survives a shotgun from the breeding grounds to Louisiana, it's a smart duck. There's no question about that. And so our hunting, as far as being able to decoy them, is probably not as consistent as it would be up north because there, you have to constantly change your tactics. And I have a saying I use over and over again, Dan. I say, well, you got to let the ducks tell you what to do. Uh-huh. Uh, the more you hunt it, you go out there, you, you make a little better guess before daylight as to what you ought to do as far as setting up. But then after you set up, you better watch those ducks, watch their body parts, the posture, you know, see what they're thinking. The people say, well, you can't do that, but you can. Sure. You just study it real closely. You've got to tell what's on their mind, what they're going to do. And you just got to watch them. And if what you're doing is not working, uh, our, our standard saying is, well, if what you're doing is not working, better get out and change something, try something else. So it's a more of a challenge down here. It really is. But then, Challenge is part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about your products for a little bit here. Um, your voodoo is your best seller, I understand. Yeah, we we sell more voodoo dove than any other decoy that we make, and it was a, 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 a it was our second stale that making a dove decoy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been the standard for quite a few years. And then we developed this uh, line of improved spinning wing decoys several years ago, which we called the elite and in the elite we put all the working parts in a in a housing if you will yeah and then uh and so the thing will operate without a decoy body you don't need a decoy body just put it on the pole turn the wings but we wrapped it with a flexible pvc decoy body and it just makes a a a more efficient engine is what it does it's built more like your car's built your truck's built Uh and uh, it's just smoother quieter whatever so we made a dove in that which we call the elite dove, and it's uh it's gaining in popularity every year, but people just know about the voodoo, so I guess they buy it because they've heard so much about it. Yeah, and what about the flickers? Now, what's that? Well, the flickers, the dove. You know, we make two kinds of flickers, even though the 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 the, uh, the the flock of flickers, which is intended for the duck, is a floating device. We took it off the market last year and making some corrections, so. Hopefully we're going to get it back on the market a year from now. But we did that because as we would study a flock of, 
so let's just say ducks, but it would be true for pigeons, doves, whatever. If you see a flock of them uh, on the dry ground, in the water, whatever, it's not a constant flash, much like a spinning wing decoy. It's a little flickers that flicker through the, you know, through the group of birds. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liken it to fireflies, you know, lightning bugs, if you will, like that. So we developed that flicker concept from it. It's been very, very, very popular. And so what you do is if you have some other decoys on the ground, say you have some static, or even if you don't, it will still work. You just scatter these out where your decoys would be if you had them. And they they come in packs, so the dove and four and the flock of flicker and six, and they all got a different tone-off timer in them. So it makes a little flicker in different places as it kind of moves around the decoy spread, and it's more realistic, and it's something that the birds have not seen and they have not yet caught on to. There you go. All right. Well, Terry, we we got to wrap this up, but would you come back and talk to us again about uh, maybe some uh, maybe some of your hunting stories and uh, some duck strategies? I'd be glad to do anything for you, Dan. All right. Well, thank you. We'll we'll uh, be in touch soon, and we will get you back on. I'm talking with Terry Denman of Mojo Outdoors. He is uh, the host of Mojo TV on the Sportsman Channel and Mojo Migration TV on Pursuit. And we will have him back for sure. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the ruffed grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society, toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 39 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or CargoMax, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer's on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. Blackfish Gear has the apparel you need for all of your outdoor adventures. From rain gear with industry-leading fabric technology to ensure you stay dry in the wettest conditions, to UPF sun protection apparel that keeps you cool and your skin protected on the hottest days. And for those cool and blustery days, our soft-shell gear will keep you warm and comfortable with the combination of premium fleece and a windproof and weather-resistant outer layer. You can't choose the weather, but you can choose how to dress for it. Choose Blackfish Gear. Learn more at blackfishgear.com. You'll enjoy good old-fashioned pheasant hunting at Cackle Creek Game Preserve in Ashapen, Wisconsin. Cackle Creek offers guided and do-it-yourself hunts for pheasants, bobwhite quail, and chuckers in cover ranging from grasslands, creek bottoms, and marsh to sorghum and a variety of grain fields. 
or book a tower shoot for your group event or charity. Let the good times fly with good birds, good cover, and good old-fashioned pheasant hunting at Cackle Creek, online at cacklecreek.net. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales and Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. You can check out Cedar Lake Sales uh, website or their Facebook page for updates and details. They got your new, new and used boats in stock. And uh, they're also taking reservations for indoor storage space because as much as you try to will it away, winter is coming up quick. Uh, we're also brought to you by Remy Battery, family-owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. Let's start something. RemyBattery.com. And by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camo wear at a price you can afford. HuntworthGear.com. And by Flow International Utility and Recreational Trailers. Flow Trailers, where the rubber meets the road at FlowINTL.com. If you missed anything on our radio show, you can go online to lake-link.com. Go to the Outdoor Radio page. You can download this show, uh, past shows up to about a year ago. Uh, take us with you on your walk, hike, your hunt, or uh, fishing trip. And uh, you can follow Dan throughout the week at uh, Dan Small Outdoors on social media. Follow me at Hardwater Jeff. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. I'm Dan Small. I'm here with Jeff Kelm. Get outside this weekend and join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. In the coffee can, honey.